Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and this podcast is the first in a series I'm conducting with Nobody Left Outside, NLO for short. The NLO is a collective of organizations representing people in some of the most marginalized communities in Europe, including homeless people, LGTBI people, people who use drugs, prisoners, sex workers, and undocumented migrants. People in these groups are known to be at greater risk of poor health, while at the same time facing many barriers in accessing healthcare. The COVID-19 crisis has brought into sharp focus the stark inequalities in access to health and social services for marginalized people who often exist outside formal healthcare and social support systems. While COVID-19 has affected the entire population, marginalized communities have faced particular challenges requiring specific policy responses. But the pandemic has created a critical momentum for supporting a greater role for the EU in public health and health system preparedness, pushing these issues very firmly to the top of the political agenda. With this podcast series, we would like to build on this momentum, casting a spotlight on the situation of marginalized people in Europe during the NLO week to create time and space for representatives of these communities to share their first-hand experience, challenges, and potential solutions. The NLO initiative as a whole, N2020, and this podcast series have been initiated and are supported financially by MSD, though the views expressed in this podcast are those of the invited guests and are not necessarily those of MSD. For further background information, you can go to the NLO website, nobodyleftoutside.eu. Now let me turn to my guests. Francesco Colombo is head of the health division at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD. Freik Spinnervain is the director of the European Federation of National Organizations working with the homeless, also known as FEANSA. And Jeffrey V. Lazarus is head of the Health Systems Research Group at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health, IS Global. Before we start our conversation, everyone, why don't you tell us briefly what you do? First of all, Francesca, over to you. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So what do we do? We try to help governments in OECD countries, but beyond, really improve the performance and the people-centeredness of their health system. So what we do is policy analysis, we do statistics, uh, we try to come up with advice, recommendations, uh, international comparisons and benchmarking. Okay, thank you. Frank? Maybe first say what FEANSA is before I say what I, what I do. FEANSA is a European umbrella organization with an NGO that brings together the um, NGO sector that works with homeless uh, people. Uh, most of our members are uh, providers of shelter uh, accommodation in all uh, EU, virtually all uh, EU member states. And what we do is uh, we do research. Uh, we try to identify interesting um, uh, practices and share them uh, with our members and other stakeholders. We lobby the European Union and the OECD and other intergovernmental organizations to do better on homelessness. Uh, and we try to create awareness uh, about uh, homelessness as, a, as, a, um, uh, as an important cause um, uh, for policymakers to work on. Thank you, Frank. And last but not least, Jeff. Thank you very much, Paul. My name is Jeff Lazarus. I work at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health, IS Global. We're around 450 people working on all aspects of health, and I lead the health systems group. We're primarily focused on infectious diseases, largely viral hepatitis, HIV, and now COVID-19. And we have a specific focus on people-centered health systems, reaching marginalized and vulnerable populations, 
um, working in collaboration with communities, providing point of care services closer to client care services when we can. I say providing, but also studying since we are um, first and foremost a research group. Thank you, Joe. So the whole point of this podcast and, and the podcast in this series is to be, is to be forward-looking, to be constructive, to be positive, to look for solutions and, and not just dwell over the, the problems. But before we do that, obviously, we have to have a, maybe uh, a common feel, maybe uh, a clear analysis of, of the past seven months or eight months or so since this pandemic first struck all of us. So from each of your perspectives, could you give me what you think are the, the top-line uh, aspects of the COVID crisis that we that we didn't foresee and uh, and how things didn't quite uh, turn out as we might have expected. Francesca? Well, it's a very big, large question, but um, look, even the most advanced countries, they thought that they have very resilient health systems. And in fact, the crisis showed that health systems are not resilient at all to shocks, to pandemics, but you could think also possible crises. I think before even talking about the resilient health systems, I think it's important to look at how we have not been good at creating the resilience in populations. And also given the, the context of this podcast, you know, the, the importance of addressing those wider socioeconomic determinants of ill health, um, addressing sources of poverty and inequalities, unless we invest more in prevention and in public health, which only accounts for percent of total health expenditure it becomes very 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 different to really make populations more resilient to shocks even before we talk about uh, you know the broader service delivery so i'll throw it there as a first thought we really need to think about resilience of populations to start with what does that mean in practice of the justice? does that mean that uh, they should have better access to to to, to to healthcare and support systems, or the populations themselves should take more responsibility for their own health? Well, there is a, an issue of individual responsibility, but there is an issue of the overarching public health, uh, you know, um, that interventions that, that we have. So think about the communications to the general public about the way you eat, the way you exercise, the way you drink, uh, think about, uh, you know, fiscal policies as well around uh, particular products which might be rich in uh, uh, fats, rich uh, in, uh, in other unhealthy uh, ingredients. Uh, think about, uh, you know, the role also of the uh, healthcare providers in uh, counselling to individuals who might be at risk of unhealthy behaviour. It's not just a matter of the individual responsibility, it's a matter of... Uh, uh, you know, like helping individuals making uh, choices which are more healthy. Okay, thank you. And turning to you, Freik, from your point of view and the people you represent, the homeless, how has, looking backwards, we'll look in the future, I said in a moment, looking backwards, how has the, the pandemic affected uh, the homeless? Yes, it, it, it affected uh, the, the homeless sector quite, um, uh, quite severely, but maybe just two reflections to, um, to start with. And it might sound obvious, but it's not so obvious. What uh, we learned uh, since the pandemic is that homelessness is also a public health issue, a health issue. It's as much a health issue as it is a housing issue. Uh, and that's quite important because in the homeless sector, um, health is not treated as uh, one of the primary um, uh, topics when you deal with homelessness. So that's, that's, that's one thing. And the other thing we learned that we knew already, but that has uh, uh, been exposed much more strongly, is that housing and access to housing is a key social determinant of health. 
Uh, and also that is obvious, but it's not treated as an obvious thing. Um, I'm now um, uh, following conferences and seminars uh, in the area of public health, and I hear uh, too little uh, talking about uh, about housing as a, a key social determinant uh, of health. So that are these are two important uh, important reflections to to start with. I think. Thank you. And we're not, so we're not just talking then about homelessness, we're talking also about housing and presumably therefore the, the quality of housing. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, like uh, no housing is the worst form of housing exclusion, but of course um, uh, housing uh, uh, affordability is an element. If you live in uh, unaffordable housing, you struggle to... Um, uh, to um, uh, to get through the COVID uh, crisis, if you live in uh, inadequate housing, it's uh, it's similar. Yes, it's it's the it's the it's the different dimensions of housing exclusion. Obviously, yeah. Okay, thank you, Frank. And turning to you, Joe, what has struck you most most blatantly in the past few months of this pandemic that was new to you? Well, I worked at the World Health Organization for eleven years, including a few years in the emergency response program. Um, so I know the emphasis that that organization puts on pandemic preparedness. Um, I know the challenge of putting pandemic preparedness on, on government agendas. And so what struck me really was, one, people who, you know, who, who criticized international organizations for not preparing us, but also governments that, that knew what this pandemic was about and really didn't take it um, seriously. I think much of the current situation you know, could have been prevented, if not initially, then certainly during the lockdown and confinement periods where we have some breathing space to do what we need to do and, and learn from the previous weeks um, or months. And what's striking me now is how the pandemic, how the virus is moving to become more of a, a disease of poverty, particularly affecting vulnerable and marginalized populations as, as Frake um, well knows and, and mentioned. So it's not just the elderly because of their age and their frailty and their health challenges, but, all, but really everyone who has difficulty accessing healthcare is now becoming disproportionately um, affected by, um, by COVID-19. Well, thank you, Joe. We'll come to that maybe in a second about how we can try to address that. Frank, you want to say something? No, what I uh, wanted to say is that in the initial um, uh, reactions, and still now, it's quite surprising to see how little attention there was for the reality in which very vulnerable people live, like homeless people. If you just take the, um, um, the guidance that governments uh, all over the world provided to deal with the, 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 the corona uh, crisis, it was social distancing, stay at home and wash your hands regularly. Try to do that when you're homeless, for instance. It's impossible. It's, of course, senseless to ask homeless people to stay at home. And still, there is incidences, even if they are anecdotal, of um, uh, homeless people, rough sleepers, street homeless people being arrested because they were not following the guidance, because they were staying in the public space. So it just shows you how little attention there was on how to deal with the corona crisis, the COVID pandemic in relation to very vulnerable groups. That has changed over time, uh, but it can still improve um, uh, largely, but we'll, yeah. we'll speak about that later. Yeah, I know you want to come in, Francesca. Let me also ask you a question, and, and then you can answer my question and make your point at the same time, which is following, as, as Fekas was hinting, governments had, different, had similar reactions in many ways, and over time that changed. I just wonder from your point of view, to what extent did you find uh, your overview of all these different governments across the world had similar responses and, and, and were learning 
the, the should we call them the shortcomings at the, at the same rate, or were some governments slower to get the message or to learn from their mistakes than others? Well, definitely there have been differences across countries, but the first perhaps issue is that all the countries perhaps have been underestimating the extent of the crisis, and that points to the need to much greater anticipation and reactivity. Um, in a way, even if we saw this was coming, it was only when uh, certain countries saw their neighbor being hit very, very, very badly that there has been a very, very strong reaction. And I think that has to do with our overarching system for really anticipating uh, this kind of crisis, which uh, do affect obviously the more vulnerable groups hardest, but they do affect uh, the entire populations overall. And we do need to have things in place such as much better information system, for example, you know, real-time uh, data using more uh, effectively data which are routinely collected to understand what is happening to populations and to people that might be uh, accessing health services, uh, and also much better implementations, uh, you know. Right. Uh, uh, at the beginning, obviously, there were issues with availability of things like face masks or availability of testing and so forth. But once those became avail available, it's a matter of how well are we able to implement uh, the testing, uh, the, the tracking and tracing in a way that we can really protect uh, vulnerable populations and populations at large. So I think there is an implementation, perhaps, um, uh, shortcoming that must be addressed in addition to much greater preparation. Um, I do think also that there is an issue of capacities, um, investments uh, to start with, having much more agile services, uh, much more easy deployments of uh, resources, think about the ICU beds and the acute care facilities, being able to deploy that more quickly, having more workforce, health professionals, which is critical. If we don't have enough, it's very, very difficult to address the needs of, uh, uh, of people who are, who are infected or whoever, as a matter of fact, other underlying uh, conditions to be attended to. Okay, thank you. I want to move quickly on, but I'll give Jeff the floor in a second uh, to the kind of the future, the policy responses. But Jeff, you want to come in here? Yeah, thank you, Paul. I, I very much agree with what Francesca said about the implementation. Many countries did implement, you know, the right control measures very quickly that sort of tried and tested measures we're familiar with, um, smaller gatherings, physical distancing, face masks, but without the implementation. I mean, as Frank said, if some of the homeless don't have, um, you know, hand-washing facilities, many people couldn't afford to, to keep buying face masks, to buy disinfectant and gels and so on. So we saw these rules going into, play, into place, but without the facilitators to help, you know, those populations, um, you, know, you know, work with them. So, I mean, we saw... Uh, countries finding people rather, you know, and the police instead of being a partner and handing out gels and information sheets and brochures and face masks, instead were handing out fines and became, it kind of became a, an issue of like, let's try and avoid the police since we're not going to have a face mask. So I think really, you know, we, and there's still time and we're going to need to do this. We really need to focus on, on the implementation of the issues, create more empathy, more solidarity, more collaboration with the population. Okay. Well, let's look to the future. I said in my introduction, and I hope I wasn't being uh, hubristic, uh, that there's a, a new critical momentum for the idea of a greater role for the EU in public health and health system preparedness. So on the basis that we will agree with that, 
bold assertion. Um, what do you think, in the time remaining to us, the three of you, should be the key policy reforms that are required to, to create this new, realistic, inclusive, resilient, and integrated health and social care system? What needs to be done? Francesca. We should start. Yeah, Francesca. <laughs> Look, it's uh, lots and lots to start with, but let me, uh, as an OECD, uh, as an organization that does quite a lot in terms of uh, the data, I do think that a very first important thing to do is to, uh, to do much better in terms of the efforts with using the data, collecting the data and information infrastructure uh, and benchmarking. I think also there is perhaps a need to look much more at openness and transparency, perhaps humility about the lessons learned from, uh, uh, from uh, the current uh, crisis. Uh, we can do things uh, together. Uh, we can do more uh, together uh, across uh, you know, different uh, countries. We can think about having more information about where uh, some protective equipments and uh, critical stocks are available across countries, uh, circulating that information so that we respond, for example, in the uh, European context, uh, um, as, uh, you know, uh, beyond the borders, but really as a, um, as a group of, uh, of, uh, of countries. Uh, I think there is a lot that can be done in terms of even of coordinating the possible responses across uh, the different countries. So definitely a lot of uh, food for thoughts for thinking about so doing things more collectively together, uh, starting with uh, better understanding and more uh, real-time uh, assessments of uh, the situation. What did you mean by when you said governments need to show more humility? I think it's not just government, it's all of us. Okay. Uh, we, <laughs> I think there has been an underestimation of the threat um, that, uh, you know, COVID-19, but it could be, uh, you know, the future virus, it could be uh, the, the, the future even crisis. Uh, we thought we had health systems that were very, very strong and we realized they're not. And so is it a matter of uh, making sure that we have you know, more resources, more health professionals with uh, perhaps, uh, you know, adequate skills to address also critical care uh, issues, much uh, more um, openness uh, uh, and sharing of uh, data and, and information, uh, you know, much uh, more even trust or building that trust across populations, um, which comes with having uh, transparency and open information. I think probably there is a lot for collecting reflections about uh, what we can do better to avoid similar uh, crises into the future. Thank you. I know you want to come in, Jeff. I'll give you the floor in one second, but I'd like you to respond maybe also to the last point from Francesca about this willingness or, uh, of, of countries, in this case the EU as well to a certain extent, to, to share information and not to be too protective and, uh, and, and do their own thing. Uh, do you see encouraging signs that the EU in particular uh, has, has, has got more into the, into the, the habit of, of working together and sharing the kind of data that Francesca is talking about? I think, you know, the, you know this, this issue of, that, that Francesca emphasized around transparency and around trust has been absolutely fundamental. People started to lose trust in the EU. And I think the EU needs to reflect on WHO's you know, health systems framework. And, and the important role of, of leadership and governance. People looked to the EU to, to inform us what to do in addition to their own governments and, and often felt that, that you know, the EU countries weren't working together um, you know, collaboratively. 
So I think the EU can play an important role, as Francesca mentioned, in the data collection and transparency, like working out case definitions on mortality. You know, for the first months of the um, of the pandemic, it was very confusing, the figures, you know, how many people were, were dying per country? Do we even want to know the case fatality rate? Um, how many cases are there? And this is where the ECDC and to some extent, even the MCDDA play important central roles. Could you explain uh, what these acronyms mean? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. The ECDC is the European Centers for Disease Control based in Stockholm. Thank and you. the EMCDDA is the European Monitoring Center for Disease, for, for, sorry, for Drugs and, and Drug Addiction. It's based in Lisbon. And these are two specialized agencies of, of the EU that work on, on the data collection issues and surveillance and working on, on drugs and particularly with um, vulnerable populations like people who inject drugs, but also the overlap with prisoners, the homeless, um, and so on. So we had all the right structures and institutions in place, but we didn't see that, that leadership um, and that I think led to um, a loss of trust, a loss of con confusion, and I think uh, sorry, some confusion. And I think um, another important role for the EU is really to think about now, how do we need to re-engineer our healthcare? How do we need to rethink our hospitals, our clinics, what kinds of mobile services do we need and what kinds of telehealth services do we need? And I think this would be interesting for Frank to comment on because you know, a lot of people are talking about um, telemedicine and telehealth. And of course, there's a lot of people in Europe who don't have telephones or if they do, they don't have good telephones. They, they're not able to have um, video calls or they might not have the privacy to have those kinds of discussions. And I wonder how that's gonna affect um, particularly the homeless population. Yeah, let me bring back in Freik. I uh, hope you've unmuted, Freik. Um, you heard Jeff talk about uh, this now becoming a disease of poverty as much as not just a disease of the elderly, quote unquote. Um, obviously, this affects the people represent very, very much. But apart from in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, providing housing for all of the homeless, how, how do you lift people out of poverty to address this, this, the issues around the pandemic? That, that's a that's a that's a that's a massive question. If I uh, if I had the answer, I think I wouldn't be working for Fernsa uh, anymore. But um, um, let me because if you asked earlier on, uh, uh, Paul, about what would you like to see changed yeah. in the future, yeah. um, and like I I think there is a, a number of things that can change, and I'm not saying that they have like that the change is not already happening, you know, like we don't start from scratch. But one thing is uh, better cooperation between the uh, social care and the health care sectors. Like I hear a lot uh, of talking about that, but in practice, I think the two sectors work very much into, uh, in, in silos. Uh, in, in, in my sector, for instance, the homeless sector, uh, it's amazing how little understanding there is of the health needs of homeless people amongst social care professionals and how little understanding that is of the reality of homelessness amongst health professionals. Uh, and so we have to change that if we want to do better and reach out uh, to vulnerable groups like homeless people. Um, the second thing that can change, and uh, you mentioned it, and, and it sounds like so logical and so straightforward, but it's not happening. It's to invest more in housing as a solution to homelessness, as a way to protect them against health risks like a pandemic. It's obvious, like we have seen that that should happen, but it is not happening um, uh, uh, sufficiently. I think also what we need is proper guidance from intergovernmental, international institu institutions on how to 
protect vulnerable people against uh, a pandemic. I was really disappointed, to be honest, uh, when I saw the guidance coming out from the World Health Organization Europe and the ECDC on uh, vulnerable people. It's too vague to be practical, you know, like we need practical guidance, sort of some kind of roadmaps on how do you how do you act when uh, when a pandemic hits um, uh, uh, the sector. So I think that's uh, that's important. And the last thing I want to say is about political will. Uh, if there is one thing that has really uh, surprised me in a positive way about uh, the current um, uh, corona crisis is how quickly most member states have been able to get rough sleepers off the street. Like 10,000 of rough sleepers have been moved into shelter or housing or hotel accommodation as a public health uh, intervention. Uh, if you would have asked me uh, before the corona crisis, do you think we can solve rough sleeping? I would have said, well, yes, probably, but it will take 10 years. And then Corona hits us, and a few weeks later, rough sleeping is more or less solved. I mean, not solved, but at least people are taken off the street. Well, can I butt in there, uh, Fred? Because it, to what extent is that, though, taking rough, peop uh, rough sleepers off the street, a, a temporary solution? Though? I thought there was something that could only be done for a certain length of time and then stop because of cost implications, et cetera. So how, long, how much of a long-term solution are we talking about? It's not a long-term solution, but you asked us to be positive uh, right. at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the interview. And I, <laughs> right. I, I see that as a positive move. But of course, you cannot keep homeless people in hotels forever. Um, so they have to move on uh, to sustainable housing solutions. That's the, that's the challenge we're confronted with at the moment. And I'm concerned uh, that quite a large part of those people are currently have a roof over their head might return to the street or to uh, overcrowded shelter. That, that's, that's really a, a valid concern that you, that, that you shared with us. But I think the fact that you can get homeless people off the street into accommodation, that in itself shows that with political will, right. you can achieve a lot. Like our ambition is to build on that political will, make it bigger and move and make steps, make progress towards actually finding a sustainable solution to homelessness, which is um, uh, which is housing, where housing plays an important uh, role. And the very last thing I want to say is about NLO, uh, the, the, the NLO network. I hope also that in the future, the NLO network can play a more important role. To my knowledge, it's the only European initiative that brings uh, very vulnerable groups that tend to be overlooked in a systematic way in social and health policy, that they can play a bigger role to sort of support the European Union, support the OECD, um, 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 to identify good solutions, identify the problems, the trends that affect these, um, uh, these groups, which is not only homeless people, but more groups, as you know. Jeff, briefly then, Francesca, briefly then, I want you to come to some conclusions. So very briefly, both of you. First, Jeff. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I really agree with what you said, Frank. I mean, we, we hear excuses from, from governments and international organizations and then the pandemic showed us that we can move quickly in, in so many different ways. And the homeless is, is, is one example. So I think it's really time now to, you know, to leverage that into a paradigm change, like you said. You know, what are the sustainable solutions for these emergency solutions we've taken? But you know, we've shown that we can do it. Now we need to show how we can sustain it. Francesca, briefly. Yes, I mean, it's a similar note in the sense that I think it's quite easy to criticizing in a way and there is lots of uh, discussions about what went wrong and that needs to happen of course but I think there is a positive side and I think we need to be uh, very clear about that I mean there's been massive investments and massive uh, reactions from governments across uh, uh, the world within trying to to address the issues there is 
definitely uh, a, a much more attention which is put to uh, to help the health of uh, the entire populations, uh, really putting on the agenda, thinking about how we should be doing uh, things differently. The EU has moved massively, including in terms of financial resources. There's discussions about how to do things more uh, collectively together. So in a way, I think there is a way to come out of this crisis uh, uh, with a much better, stronger health system uh, which hopefully learns from uh, from some of these mistakes, from some of the neglect, including uh, on on some of the vulnerable groups, but really puts us on a better foot for the future. At least that's my my hope. Right. A final question to all of you. The same question. Imagine all of you, the three of you, are in a, a meeting of political leaders. Let's say it's the European Council. You've been asked to come in as the experts that you all are, and you're given a short speaking slot, say sixty seconds maximum each to make a, a single recommendation or more than one if you can do it very briefly. So what would be in your allotted relatively short speaking time, what message would you, or what suggestion, what recommendation would you give to the European leaders who would be listening to you? Um, start with Jeff. Thank you, I'll be less than 60 seconds. My recommendation would be to strengthen health, to strengthen health systems, to remember that health is wealth, and to remember how WHO defined health as being physical, but also mental and social well-being. And we've really seen that during the pandemic. Thank you. Frank, over to you, sir. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I would, um, I would tell them that um, um, uh, uh, solving homelessness is possible and that they should use the momentum created by the pandemic uh, to actually make uh, progress uh, towards that. And to listen to the commissioner responsible for homelessness who has said, uh, for uh, social affairs, sorry, for employment and social affairs, uh, Nicholas Smith, who has said at several occasions now that he wants the member states to commit to ending homelessness by 2030. I think he's a sensible man. Thank you. And the last word to you, Francesca. So yes, obviously invest more in health, in health system, but also in health, the health of populations, including, you know, those determinants of health, which are beyond uh, the health sector. Uh, be much more agile, much more quicker in decision-making, in setting up systems which are not rigid. Health systems are in many ways still rigid, including in the health workforce, in, uh, in the way we organize services. So much more innovations, you know, and uh, perhaps also learn from some of the innovations that are coming from the crisis, uh, digital accelerations, uh, use of telemedicines, uh, use of data in a much better way to improve the performance of health system and the health of populations. So learn from, uh, you know, what went wrong, but also uh, build on uh, the opportunities that the crisis is opening in front of us. Thank you. Well, we have to leave it there. Francesca Colombo, Freik Spinnevain, and Jeff Lazarus, thank you all very much for your time.